What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the best and the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. I am joined by my better half, the lovely Miss Kayla Beatty. Kayla, how are you? (laughs) Hey, G. Hey, Fight Fans. I'm good. How are you? I am good. What have you been up to? You were very missed last week, and it is nice to be back on the air with you. Yes, well, I miss talking to you and talking about MMA as well. I've just been hustling. I had a really nice interview with Gabby Garcia and was just working a lot at the gym. Um, Yeah, just staying busy. How about you? Um, I wish I could say I've gotten as much done. It was actually a slower week between interviews for myself. So I was having a bit of, bit of downtime to recharge. I read, I finished Paige Van Zandt's book. That was How do you like, how did you like it? I learned a lot about her. I think you learned a lot about um, motivation and just really the things that you wouldn't expect when you see her and I encourage everyone, you know, if you're really interested about, you know, the next generation and what really pushes this particular individual, that it's a very good read. And I encourage it for anyone who just may think that they're jumping to conclusions. And I enjoyed Avengers, which was a lot of fun, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a very loaded show. Are you ready to begin? I am. All right, so, of course, this is our first show since last week. Thank you to Danny Doherty for filling in. But we were talking about Bellator 198, the fight 10 years in the making, a little more between Fedor Emelianenko and Frank Mir. Kayla, this fight, I mean, 10 years, I wanted it to last longer, but the fact is you still got a very nice fight between the two for as long as it lasted. Give me your thoughts on the matchup. Yeah, that's the only, you know, downside to this. Like, it was definitely wonderful buildup. I mean, 10 years and, and two legends and having Frank's return and just seeing Fader fight in Bellator. I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of a fight out of the guys, seeing each other's skills being tested since we know they have them. Um but, you know, it was a quick fight. Fedor got the win. Um, I don't know, G, how did you feel about the fight? I, I feel like, especially after reading, you know, one of Frank's interviews, I agree. I think that maybe, I don't know, it's, it's almost like he didn't have ring rust, but almost like an adrenaline rush of too much energy and just not fighting as smartly as I guess he should have. I mean, I think that, um, le- let's be honest, I feel like on paper, if I'm Frank Mir, I probably would have tried to do the same thing to Fedor and make him uncomfortable also. Um, very bluntly, I just don't think Frank Mir was expecting Fedor to be as calm and collected as he was in the pocket. I think that when he started putting pressure on him, he expected Fedor to be a little more uncomfortable, maybe kind of fall back a little bit and be a little bit at a loss. In the fights we've seen where Fedor has been very successful, he's kind of the one leading the dance, as a lot of commentators like to say lately. So I think that Frank Mir thought that if he gets himself going early, um, Fedor is going to immediately fall into a deficit and be uncomfortable, and that's all going to favor Frank Mir. Of course, the opposite is true. I think that Fedor had a very good game plan for as much as we saw of it. 
Um, it looked like he was trying to come forward and put pressure on Frank Mir. He actually had a great presence of mind. Frank Mir was, we all saw him from the way in, much bigger, very jacked, very well-prepared physically. Fedor just did a good job of staying calm and reading each exchange. And I think Chael Sonnen said it best. People forget how fast Fedor is. He was able to just change direction, you know, change his speed. And that's what led to that very just clean finish. And I was very impressed because I think a lot of people thought this is a guy who stylistically has a lot of advantages over him. So I was okay with it. I wanted them to fight longer, like I think we all did. But, you know, if that opportunity presents itself, you know Fedor is going to take it. So I did not have an issue with that. Things got a little awkward in the post-fight, though. What do you think about everything that happened with Chael Sonnen? I don't know if I saw that. Um, so you had Chael. Essentially, he did the post-fight interview. And, you know, he's saying the only thing worse than being here in Chicago is being in here with you, Fedor. But the whole time, Fedor is just there talking with his translator. And we know he doesn't speak the most English, so it kind of just seemed to all fall on deaf ears and not be like that, oh, you know, that, you know, that promo, I guess. Is oh, you were looking for, okay, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the only downfall is, you know, the more that Fedor um, progresses in the tournament, he's just choosing to, I don't think that he doesn't understand English. I think that he just chooses not to engage with, the smack talking. I mean, he's been around for so long. He doesn't, he doesn't feel like he needs to do it. And um, so that, yeah, that's the only thing with, I'm sure we'll still get hilarious commentary um, tweets, everything from Chael for sure. And he has a lot of material on Fedor, but I don't think that the two will be engaging in smack talk, but who knows? Maybe Chael Sonnen can break Fedor and we'll see a little bit of, um, you know, his smack on his side. Now, that'd be interesting. Let me ask you a very interesting question about Fedor. Do you think he's enigmatic, or do you think it's more he's putting on a persona that he's enigmatic? Um, what, what's the definition of enigmatic, G? Like this, myster- like this big mystery, like, you know, no one actually knows what he's thinking. Do you think he's actually like, you know? No, I think yeah. that he's very, um, well, yeah, I think that if anything, I don't know. I don't even know, think that he wants to stay mysterious. I just think that, you know, if he doesn't, he's already built his legacy. He doesn't have to, you know, um just because he's fighting in America, he doesn't feel like he has to, one, you know, speak English and not have a translator or maybe in, in Russia um, or where he's fought, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary for him to engage in all of the new entertainment style of smack talking and tweeting and all of that stuff. I mean, he's been around for so long, so it's weird to think that all of a sudden he's going to get with the times and change in 2018. Um, you know what's weird? So uh, you were there with me when we both got to speak to Fedor. And uh-huh. one of the things I found interesting, I think people don't realize how important the translator is. Because that video, when I posted it, I actually ended up getting thousands of views, many of which from his fans in Russia. And they were all quick to comment and let me know that the translator actually left out important things. 
So oh, if wow. you remember that morning where we talked to him, it was actually drizzling a lot in LA. And of course, I wanted to ask him a bit, like for a bit of fun, like it's a rainy day in Los Angeles and he's not wearing his famous sweater that, you know, he's known for. Uh-huh. And I asked him, you know, why did you choose not to wear it? And the translator just said, you know, it's not that cold in my opinion for the sweater. I'm from Russia. The commenters let me know that like Fedor actually said a whole part about we were walking around in our t-shirts, you know, this is nothing compared to what's going on. And which of course, you know, that is obviously, you know, just shows a little more extent, but the fact that it was lost because the translator didn't tell me, you know, he was trying to have a bit more humor. And that's something that a lot of the commenters were saying like, hey, you know, that entire part was just missed. So maybe it isn't necessarily all Fedor's fault. I think that's something very interesting to note. Yeah, Um, maybe he does have more of a personality that we unfortunately just don't get to see expressed. Yeah, I will say too, he is a very low-key guy. I think that that is not an act. He's not very, you know, about the limelight. And especially, of course, it's different in America compared to Russia. Real quick before we move on to the co-main event, what do you think about Frank Mir saying his next fight is going to be in Russia for ACB where he commentates? Um, yeah, interesting choice. I think, though, that that's one of the reasons why he wanted to go to Bellator is that he'd have the freedom to do stuff like this. Um, you know, maybe after that that loss, he feels like, he wants to get a couple of other fights in, um, you know, not on, well, I don't want to say not on a big stage, but not on the stage of Bellator, um, just to kind of freshen up. What do you think? Um, I think it's very interesting. I think that um, I'd assume they're paying him very well because, you know, what having a guy like Frank Mir um, and what he's accomplished, you know, what it would bring to your promotion. I think that it's a bit of a... I'll admit, it's a safe play in my opinion because let's say Frank Mir loses, he's not going anywhere. He doesn't have to worry about anything. Whereas if he wins, I'm sure he feels like it's a good morale boost. I think it's good for a tune-up and to get him, you know, feeling more like himself again without a lot of the pressure that would probably come with, you know, the Bellator tournament or if he were to fight another one of these top guys in Bellator, for example. So... I think it's a very safe move and one that's going to be very interesting because we know that there's just this criticism of a lot of the companies in Russia. So I think it's going to be interesting how he handles that politics part of it now that he's actually stepping into the cage himself. I think that's something to keep an eye on. Moving on to the co-main event. This one I have heard a certain lovely woman thought it was the best fight on the card. Emmanuel Sanchez taking out Sam Cecilia by first round rear naked choke. Kayla, I couldn't believe that he was blowing kissy faces at the camera as he's choking this guy out. I know. I what mean, the I... hell? I mean, that is some <laughs> style points right there. Give me your thoughts on why this fight was so great in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, I usually don't like that type of, um, you know, action in there, but it did crack me up a little bit because it was just such a funny thing to do. But, um, yeah, I think what was cool about this fight is it, it started off very high paced and exciting and both men, you know, um, had some nice moments in the beginning there, but 
the night was just full of submissions, which was super fun. Um, and, and I know you love jujitsu. I was like, this is Kayla's card, man. <laughs> well, it's just a nice change. And what's cool is, I mean, from what I'm hearing, there was lots of positive feedback of where I see like submission wins can be exciting and fun, especially when you're getting standing chokes and guys are blowing kisses at you. Um, but yeah, I just thought that it was, it was a good fight. Um, for me, probably one of the more, I know like it wasn't, it ended pretty quick. I think either in the end of the first or early second, but, um, I think that this was just fight of the night because, um, I'm trying to recall back, but I think didn't, um, from what I remember, um, Sam, I believe got a couple takedowns and was trying to get some submissions himself. Yeah. Wrong? No, no, that was correct. Um, Sam was, um, I think people are a little, you know, let's be honest, the story was Emmanuel and his showmanship as he got the job done. But Sam was a very tough guy going in. And um, Emmanuel kind of had to just prove he was going to be the bigger force in the cage. And I think that's not a knock on Sam. Sam did go in there looking to push the pace. It's just Sanchez was all systems go. And I think that's really what it was at the end of the day in this matchup. Yeah, always a fun fight when, um, you know, guys show their personality in there. And then I just love seeing all of that work done and and seeing these cool, rare submissions. Yeah, in terms of the showmanship, um, I don't know how big of a follower of the WC you were exactly, but um, if you've ever seen Uriah Faber and Rafael Asuncao, um, I, I swear there's something about Uriah Faber's Cali swag that just often imitated, never duplicated. So imagine this picture. Um, he's trying to take Rafael's back against the cage, and Rafael is kind of like in a kneeling position. He's like three points down, mm-hmm. and it's very slow. Uriah doesn't really have it locked in. He's not really throwing a lot of hard punches. And Rafael looks up, and he sees that the camera is right on him, um, and he smiles because he knows he's on the big screen. Literally, Uriah Faber, as he's trying to take the back, sees Rafael do this, looks up at the camera himself, and gives them a smile, too. I think I remember that. Yes, and I was like, are you kidding me? So, um, I don't know. Uh, the showmanship, I think, like, look, if you're feeling yourself and you have an opportunity, why not? You're trying to stand out in a sport where literally everyone has the same uniform, so... I'm cool with it. In terms of the submissions, I don't think it was necessarily just like, oh, you know, that submissions are less exciting than knockouts. I think it's about the pace. You had a lot of guys, whether it's Neiman Gracie or Dylan Donis, who we're about to talk about, they were just very active in pursuing it. They didn't just, you know, let up and try to counter. They were actively trying to find these positions and go for stuff. And I think that was something that the fans appreciated. Um, With the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the fact is sometimes you do have to be a lot more patient to get that, you know, position you want. And, you know, every now and then you have some guys that end up not getting it. And instead it feels like a lot of stalled action. You didn't have it in a lot of these performances, and I think that's why it was well-received despite being, you know, oh, the rare four-submission main card or what have you, what statistic it was. So 
I think that's what fans appreciated, which as it should be, you know, it just goes to show you that jujitsu isn't, you know, what you might think it is, you know, even though Justin Gaethje likes to knock it, it does have its place. Let's talk about the one guy, though, who was very, uh, I don't know how I feel about this guy. I just know that he makes me feel a certain way, and that's probably a good thing. Dylan Donis taking out Kyle Walker in his MMA debut Don is coming over as a very decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. Kayla, what do you think about Donna's game for his first night out in the cage? How does he make you feel? I mean, I don't know if I think he's uh, polarizing or if I think he's just got his own swag, but he's definitely got skills. So I was just like, I don't know. Like, do I think you're all that in a bag of chips? No, but uh, I mean, you got me interested to see what you're going to say next. That's what I mean. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, people want to knock on a Jits guy or someone who's more of a striker going into a fight and, you know, taking the fight to where they're the most comfortable. I think that that was the biggest knock I I saw is that people said, oh, well, look, he's just trying to go in and, and use his jiu-jitsu like he hasn't been working on MMA or he would have st- stood up and, and striked with him more. I don't think that's the case. I think, or even if it is the case, oh, well, he pulled off again another, I mean, not super rare submission, but, you know, a submission that you don't see too often or haven't seen in a while or hadn't seen on that card yet. And I thought that, you know, if he saw the opening and, and, and felt more comfortable of just finishing the fight that way, I found it very entertaining and he got the win. He made a nice debut. So I think that people should give him a chance, let him make his, um, you know, his debut in Bellator and, um, you know, we'll see in the next fight if he has competition that keeps it standing and see his skills up there. So to me, um, one of the things that, um, I've never personally covered a Dylan Donis event, but I did speak with a lot of people and doing some research. And the thing that makes him very unique in the circle is that he's a bit of an oxymoron. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu bad boy, which if you look at just, let's say the difference between him and Neiman Gracie, who was apologizing to his coach for not getting a certain submission, you know, it's kind of unheard of because the tradition of the jujitsu guys and the legacy and just the respect culture to have a guy who just likes to go out there and talk a lot of trash as just a jujitsu guy who's never actually fought, you know, quote unquote, um, is very different. And I think that's why Dylan is a very unique character in that way. Yes, he trains with Conor McGregor and you got to imagine that there's a bit of sharing of the playbook and how to promote yourself but even before he's ever stepped into MMA what I understand is he has quite the colorful personality um uh, first off not to knock his skills he pulled off a submission that you don't see every day in his first night out that's just a testament to the level he's at so I'm looking forward to it I think it's just more everything else that he brought with it saying you know this is my show they all came to see me you know, one, come on, son, you know, that's not true. But I also understand he's trying to build something on his first night out. And I feel like he's not there yet to be saying those things. But as you said, only time will tell if it pays off for him. 
before we move on to a certain interview, I want to ask you, what do you think about him getting a bit of conviction Askren? Yeah, I mean, you know, if he feels confident calling him out, cool. I think that he knows Ben Askren has bigger fights. I mean, obviously, Bellator or Ben has felt like the fight with Rory could be there. So great for you to, you know, dream big. But I also feel like sometimes these young, hungry guys have to be careful who they call out because be careful what you wish for if an injured Rory McDonald gets pulled off a card and you threw out your name there, you might actually have to fight Ben Askren. So, um, but who knows? Maybe he feels that confident in his skills. You're I'm saying not it, someone having no ceilings in their, in their dreams. You're saying it's nice to dream big, but he should wake up is what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> what did you think? Um, I, I, I think slow your roll, man. You ain't that. You, you ain't all that yet. Calm down. But, um, uh, I, I think that he, I, I'll say it like it is. I think he took the wrong approach if he's trying to promote himself. If he was really serious about it, I think he should have called out somebody that he could take on. For example, I wouldn't mind seeing him try to do something with the winner of John Fitch and Paul Daly. I think that one might have been more his speed. And that fight could actually happen. I think that would have been a much better approach if I were Dylan. And you got plenty of ammunition on either of them if you want to talk trash, too. Now, of course, for fans who don't know or just didn't listen to the first episode, the thing about myself and Kayla is not just that we do the podcast. Yes, we are big fans of mixed martial arts. But, um, you know... No, we do not work for this huge outlet like MMA Junkie or what have you, but we are still out there. We do a lot of interviews um, with a lot of the biggest names. And, you know, time to time, we do love to just showcase some of them and talk about the things that we have learned. And, you know, the conversations we've had with a lot of, you know, people that you're familiar with. And Kayla spoke with someone, I don't want to say off the beaten path, because she is certainly one of the big names out there, just maybe, you know, not quite as known in America. Miss Gabby Garcia, a women's heavyweight champion in mixed martial arts, training partner Chris Cyborg. Kayla, just, you know, why didn't you set this up for me? Talk to me about just your research for the interview with Gabby and really just your conversation, because I really liked it. You guys had a very nice conversation. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, I um, had read that she was making a comeback in 2018 with just, you know, she had a rough year last year. She had a really hard time with her weight cut. She had a couple of fights. Um, I think her most recent one ended in a no contest due to eye pokes. Um, You know, she had some backlash because of the promotion that she was fighting for set up a fight that a lot of people disagreed with since she was fighting an older lady, much smaller than her. Um, So, you know, she had had a rough year, but I had seen that she is competing outside of Ryzen and going to compete at Road FC 47. Um, And, you know, I just reached out to her and she was, you know, very responsive back and we set up a really nice um, data interview. And it was really cool because um, not only is she extremely nice and and very cute um, in person, 
but she has a really nice team. I only met um, her striking coach, but they're very cool too. But she's in a good place. She, um, you know, of course, everyone's main question that they were DMing me and asked me about is, oh my gosh, like, how did she look in person? Um, you know, is she like Andre the giant of women? And I was like, no, actually, um, I was surprised how unintimidating she was. Um, you know, just because from what I had read on her size, I, I have a, a two brothers that are pretty tall. And I was I was thinking, OK, I'm going to be interviewing Mike, my brother, but, um, you know, in female version. So, of course, I'm thinking, like, how do I set up the shot? Um, do I bring a box to stand on? You know, whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, she's she's in a very good place to where she um, is working really hard on keeping a steady weight of 220. So to me, I just saw a very athletic, fit woman. Um, she also just seemed like she was in such a good place mentally, too. So I saw a really happy Gabby, too. So that's what I think really made the interview so nice um, is we just, you know, had a conversation of, of just where she's at, talked a little bit about her opponent, but her opponent um, is making her pro debut. So if you watch the whole interview, there wasn't much that she could even – um, you know, say about about her, about her, and and she even says, you know, there's only five videos because, um, you know, where her opponent, uh, Veronica is from, they just must not, you know, film a lot or have a lot of tape. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very nice interview, and I'm I'm excited to see, I'm excited for her and just as a fan, just to see her compete in 2018 because I think she's in a really good place and has. Um, you know, some goals of her own of eventually going after that heavyweight title in Ryzen or in um, in Road FC. Can I ask you, did you ask her our one of our, you know, questions? We have like our dream questions we need to ask. Like, for example, we need to ask Kevin Lee whether or not he talked about Kiesa's mama. <laughs> did you ask Gabby if she thinks that Chris Cyborg wakes up in a cold sweat thinking about her coming to the UFC? No, I did not ask her that. You should have. Uh, you should have asked me, G, to to drop that question. Um, I don't. I, one, I don't think that if Gabby made it to the UFC, that they'd ever compete against each other. I mean, if Chris is making one forty-five and Gabby is comfortable at a two twenty, I mean, I guess they could meet somewhere in the middle. But I doubt that they'll fight. They seem like they're almost like sisters from the way that she was speaking of Chris. Yeah, weight classes, and they are really cool. I mean, they really just do seem to have this bond that I think is very endearing when you see it on social media. I will say, though, I remember your reaction the first time I ever told you that line, and you were very pleased with it because um, we know who Gabby Garcia is, and I think that's what I liked about it. You got a very comfortable. Um, I want to ask you, because when you approach these kinds of fighters with you know, they've been in some drama, you know, like she was in Ryzen at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, I mean, for example, we don't see Gabby Garcia do a lot of on-camera interviews. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I was very impressed with yours. And I want to ask, did you ever feel like you need to kind of get the story about it? Because she did get a lot of heat. We do remember she did, you know, Ryzen matched her up with the 15-year, 50-year-old, ex-pro wrestler something like that and people were like you're Gabby Garcia you just want to bully people 
Um, was there ever this need to want to like get her side of the story about how it all went down and how she was really feeling about it? Like to get her to open up a lot more because of that story? Yeah, you know, there's two moments in the interview where she was about to break down in tears. And that's just not my style. I'm not going to force someone to, you know, and hammer them to talk about something that, you know, just for the story. And I think that the research that I had done, she actually, I found a video where she hopped on on her own personal Instagram, and then it was uploaded later, I think, by her and her team, and of course, shared by other people, where she stayed on there for a good 15 minutes discussing, it was right after that man kicked her. um, Oh, yes. Kicked her in the streets of LA, you know, and was trying to intimidate her and antagonize her to fight him, because he was so upset that she had, um, you know, said yes to fighting this person. And I think that if you watch the interview, she does, you know, talk about that. We didn't go into super crazy detail about it because I feel like she's addressed it. And she even said it again in the interview, you know, um, she, she's a company girl. If the, if her bosses are telling her that, Hey, we think that this is the next fight for you. That's supposed to be matched. She doesn't question it. She says that she's, you know, and I think really, G, what it is, what I got from her is, let's be honest, there's not a lot of companies that have that that division and somewhere, a place for her to fight. So you're asking, not you, but I'm just saying, like, people want to sit here and, you know, judge her or, um, you know, have an opinion about it. But really think about it. If she loves to fight and she wants to compete and challenge herself, which she said that that's really what it's about, is she loves to continue challenging herself and open doors for women it's she's in a hard place trying to say, hey, yeah, finally someone wants to have me fight, but let me be picky about who I want to fight. Then they might just tell her, okay, you're too much trouble to even work with you um, and find opponents for you moving on. So I think that's really what it came down to. And that's what I got from her. I didn't get those words exactly out of her, but she did say in my interview that now that she's kind of played it their way for a while, um, now that she's seeing that more and more ladies are um, moving, are you know, wanting to fight at these at these higher weight clashes, she says that she has about ten girls that she knows uh, are lined up that she could face. Now she's in a place with Ryzen where she wants to start talking to them more about, hey, let's actually match me with um, fair competition or competitions that, that's going to challenge herself because that's you know, another thing. As she said, a lot of people. Um, back home in Brazil will say you're not really an MMA fighter or an MMA star because you've had such easy fights like let's see someone challenge you and then we'll believe that you're a real mixed martial artist yeah I think that um with Gabby like you said is very bluntly there's only so many women's heavyweights you know that finding any competition let alone other elite competition really is quite the challenge um and I think that's something Gabby faces. Um, I have heard other people talk about Gabby. Like, for example, after the incident, former opponent Destiny Yarbrough had a very poignant comment about it and said, you know, I think people forget that because, you know, look, it's unusual to see a woman, you know, at, at her size, so athletic and powerful and tall. People forget she's a person with a lot of feelings, too. And I think that's very unfortunate because I think that's what the incident stemmed from with the assault. 
Um, I think that she was in a catch-22 with the Ryzen situation. Like you just said, I mean, this is a big promotion, and they have women's heavyweights. You don't want to speak out about it, but at the same time, you know, how do you explain that this other woman signed up to fight her also? It wasn't all just one way, and this woman was taken hostage and being sacrificed to the great Gabby Garcia. No, this pro wrestler signed up to for the match too so you don't want to knock it but that at the same time i feel you know you imagine she wants to explain the situation also the fact that in rising you do not get to turn down fights you are um penalized by the company if you refuse to fight who they put in front of you so i think she was in a very tough situation um like like you said um if she doesn't want to talk about it i definitely would never want to lose the rest of a conversation if this person just you know doesn't want to break down or doesn't want to really get in on a particular comment but i think you handled it very well because certainly there's a lot of questions for someone like a gabby garcia and i think you hit on a lot of points i think you guys had a nice little vibe dancing at the beginning and um i also will say i've been around you a lot I did not realize she didn't look as much taller than you as I expect uh, as I expected she would on camera. I do have to say that. Yeah, I know. I think that's what I was surprised by too. I was thinking that she'd be taller, but were you tempted to say like I gotta be honest? I really thought you'd be taller from seeing you on TV. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'll say it like it is. When I met Tyron Woodley, it, like yes, he is like twice the size of me in muscle but I felt like I was a little taller than him and that really shocked me because and I was like you know man I gotta say I really thought you'd be a little taller you know just saying thanks Sonia G yeah but um it's certainly just look uh, congratulations again it was not just a great conversation it's a great subject well done interview I am always so impressed by the work you do so I'm glad it's getting some traction so I really wanted us to talk about it. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. So we do still have some MMA news since we haven't been on in a week. And it's been a very busy week in mixed martial arts. We actually had to change it several times to get the top stories out. So let's get right into it. Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Stevens, official for, for Calgary. This fight was rumored, but now it is going to be the co-main event on July 27th. Aldo is looking to rebound from back-to-back losses to champion Max Holloway. Stevens is on a three-fight win streak, including knockouts over Duho Choi and Josh Emmett. Kayla, this fight takes place just 20 days after the fight between Holloway and Brian Ortega. What are your thoughts on the fight? Ooh, I mean, I didn't even realize that that was the case, too. So we're going to have some exciting fights for this division coming up. Um... Yeah, you know, I think that this was rumored a little ways back. Um, like and, a month and a half, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I like it. I think that um, this, is, you know, we wonder, we were wondering what Jose Aldo's next move would be. I think that Jeremy Stevens looks really good. I think that his last couple fights, he's shown that he's not just this um, one style fighter, that he's evolving. He's even um, maybe taking a page out of Jose Aldo's book and using those kicks. Um, so it's an interesting time for both men to fight, and it's definitely intriguing. They both have that star power name. What do you think? 
Um, stylistically, I love the fight. Just have them get in there and throw down with each other in the center of the octagon. It's got that kind of potential, and that's yeah. what makes it so much fun. Um, I, I gotta say, I think Jeremy could have waited for a title shot, but I'm not gonna knock it. You know, this is a big fight for him. And if I'm being honest, I think he's getting Jose Aldo at the right time. Uh-huh. If there was ever a time for a guy like Jeremy to take out a guy like Jose, I think that right now Aldo is his most vulnerable that we've ever seen him. I think that um Jeremy's on a great run. He's got great momentum. He's been in great shape, has a lot of confidence right now in his career that I think this could really make for a big upset. Um, uh, Just really, though, you have to start playing matchmaker so let's talk about it. First off, one caveat, because there are a lot of players at 145. I'm going to take one off the board. I think if Brian Ortega wins the title, Frankie Edgar is not going to step up and get a title shot. So, no. in, with, this, so with this case now, with, in terms of this fight, hypothetically, let's say Brian Ortega takes the belt from Max Holloway. If Jose Aldo were to win, do you think you would put Aldo in a title shot over Frankie Edgar? I don't. I wouldn't. You think he's just a, needs a little more momentum back on the side, Why? even though he's former champion? I mean, because he's former champ. I mean, I think that um, I think had Frankie not built up that storyline of the of him taking the chance against Brian Ortega when he could have easily waited for a title shot. I think that that is a better story. I think that fans will, you know, maybe not Brazilian fans, but I think most fans will back that up and saying, hey, he was supposed to get that title shot. Now the man that, you know, yes, he lost to Brian Ortega and was knocked out for the first time, but give him, you know, because he went and threw us a bone of giving us a fight when he didn't need to give him the title shot. Um, but I do see what you're saying. It's a former champ. Um, obviously, stylistically, I'm sure Brian Ortega would be super excited for that fight against former champ Jose Aldo. I don't know if I would make it. I mean, he would have to pull off a very exciting performance against Jeremy Stevens for me to completely just say uh, or put Frankie on you know, the bench. Yeah, to me, I mean, that's the thing about it is that Jose uh... – I'll be honest, it feels disrespectful to say he shouldn't get it because of everything he's accomplished. Because he really, and I said it after the Holloway fights, he lost to Max Holloway. You put most of that division in there back-to-back, they're going to lose both of them. That's how good Max is. That does not mean that Jose is in any way over the hill or any of these other things you might hear. That being said, I think that 2017 was a tough one for him. And even though I will say I think he's the bigger star than Frankie, I just feel like Frankie Edgar has a little more momentum. That being said, I I think that just promotion-wise and the fact that Brian Ortega just was so definitive in that first-round knockout, I feel like Jose Aldo just will get it for that reason. I don't think – I will say this. On paper, in terms of selling the fight, I think Jose Aldo would get it competitively. I think that Frankie Edgar is in a better place than Jose Aldo. And as of right now of this show, I think we'll put a bigger fight against Brian Ortega, despite the results of the first fight. I think that's just where I'm at. Um, and, and that's just a testament. Your, to... 
you're also counting out that Max Holloway and Brian Ortega isn't like an amazing fight, and Max gets the immediate oh. shot for her, um, you know, rematch. Oh, oh, don't get me started on that. That's we're gonna have that. It's only May. We, that's a conversation for June. This is why I'm saying all these predictions too early, premature predictions. Well, hey, we got it. People don't talk just to be like, yeah, we'll figure that out later. <laughs> that's you know, their Barbara could tell them that. Kayla, people tune in to MMA Daily because they want us to solve the problem for them. Um, let's talk about it conversely. Let's say that Jeremy Stevens were to win. Do you think that because he's now on a four-fight win streak, including beating Jose Aldo and the other three guys, do you think he has more momentum than Frankie Edgar right now to fight Max um, or Brian? Oh, man. I mean, I think that maybe, say Jeremy Stevens wins and Max loses. Have they already fought? Let me see. Brian and uh, Jeremy have not fought. Max has defeated Jeremy years ago. I want to say yeah, like back 2014. in 2015. Oh, 15. Yeah. It was around three decisions. So maybe you see them play that one back, and that would be his title. You know, uh, I don't know, Eliminator. I don't know, G. There's too many factors that could come into play. But do I think that he should get it over Frankie? I mean, I don't know. That's that's another hard one. I mean, a four-fight win streak, if he beats former champion, there's, yeah, that's a lot um, of momentum he has behind him in, in fighting for that title shot. I just think that, I don't know. I, I know that, like, rankings-wise, if you look at the numbers and look at, um, you know, what every fighter has done, yeah, it doesn't really make sense to Frank, for Frankie Edgar to go and get that shot against Brian Ortega after being knocked out. But I also just think that, like, man, I feel like we all need to do him a solid since he took that fight and didn't have to. I mean, that's the fight game, though. I think, um, look, the fact is that you have two very good guys, and they are both have good arguments for why they should get it. Let's say Jeremy just flat out puts down Jose in the first round. Um, as much as I, I always say this, Frankie Edgar's like your favorite flavor ice cream, and that's why we love him. But if you were to give the title shot to Jeremy, I can't say you can make, you can't really cry about it because of the run he's on. Um, conversely, I mean, Frankie Edgar did do us a solid, and he has been that guy for a long time. So they both do have a great argument. And um, yeah, it might just come down to how we're feeling if Frankie takes another fight or what have you. But it's certainly going to be a conversation we'll have in July, that's for sure. Yeah, and we have to, I mean, Brian Ortega has to win before you can talk about all of these matchups. He is going against Max Holloway. Oh, I think that um, it's still a good matchup for Jeremy to get a rematch with Max, too. Don't get me wrong. Uh Um, Trust me, I'm not counting out the blessed. Hey, to be the best, you have to beat the best. And right now, the best is blessed, babe. I mean, it's just what it is. Uh, but yeah, I do really like that fight. I think that yeah, the main points there is like you said, um, it's a it's a good time for Jeremy Stevens to fight Jose Aldo. But we can't count out the former champ. Stylistically, these guys are going to put on a fight. They both are veterans of the sport, and 
always usually put on a good fight. So um, it, it, I like that matchup, but I think it's good timing for both guys in that division. We're finally, um, you know, I, well, there's a couple of divisions now that ha- are, I think, like, especially in lightweight, now that we have momentum going, there's some stylistically some really nice matchups within the top five. So 2018 should be filled with plenty of good fights to come, like the one we're about to move on and talk about now. Well, I was going to say, go ahead and take it away, because I feel like when the ladies throw down, I don't even want to mess with their greatness. I just want to <laughs> sit back and observe. So, Kayla, why don't you introduce the next one? Yeah, so it was announced, what, yesterday or the day before, um, a fight that you, G, have wanted to see and a fight that you were kind of predicting would happen. Um, former champion Ioana Janjacek will face Tisha Torres kind of the new girl in the division or at least the the new girl with the hype around her um they'll be fighting on july 28th on fox in calgary um if you are familiar joanna just faced rose and lost to her um you know after she lost the title so back-to-back losses but she looked a lot better and who did tisha she just recently fought she's on a four-fight win streak was her last her last one was michelle watterson no, Jessica Andrade. Jessica Andrade. Right. She lost that one. Okay, yeah. So, sorry. Not on a four-fight win streak. She's had just lost to Jessica Andrade. But, yeah, I think that um, this was the fight that people were saying. If people want to believe in Tisha, they want to see her go against Ioana. I do think it's interesting, though, that she's getting this fight after a loss to Jessica Andrade. But maybe it was just a matter of scheduling. What do you think, G? Um, I'm okay with it just because they're both top five women in the strawweight division. Um, first off, uh, just on the fight itself, I love Joanna's chances in this one. I think that Tisha is, quite frankly, a smaller, less explosive version of Jessica. I think she carries a lot of the same skill sets, just doesn't do the kind of damage Jessica does when she gets the same positions. And we all saw stylistically how well Joanna did with her length and range and speed against Jessica, I think that Tisha has a lot to learn from. Um, It's going to be a very tough one for Tisha, but if she could get a wrestling going, I think it becomes a much closer fight. They are not a main event, so it's going to be a three-rounder, so we got to see how Joanna approaches that one. Yeah, that's Um, After being in so many five-round fights and going really, well, except for the first loss to Rose, all five rounds for the last, roughly year and a half i want to say so that's mm-hmm. going to be an adjustment um i in terms of the timing of this fight i had said that if joanna isn't moving up to flyweight this one makes sense because that just makes her you know it cements her hold as one of the best straw weights and if let's say something were to happen to rose namajunas where she loses the title she's still right there a la misha tate holly Holm after losing twice to Ronda, I think that if you have that option, why not take it if you can make the weight and you're still one of the top women there? I also think that because we're still, and we'll talk about this in a minute, we're still waiting on the Nico Montano, Valentina Shevchenko, she feels like maybe she doesn't want to take Jennifer Maya or Andrea Lee right now if she knows she'll get an immediate title shot when all that is sorted out. So if she's just looking to raise her stock on both counts, I think the Tisha fight works. 
for Tisha Torres, a win over Joanna, that puts you right back on track and on the short list for a title shot, maybe sets you up against the winner of Carla Esparza and Claudia Gadea. Uh-huh. I think that works well for her in that way. So I think it's a good matchup overall. Yeah, I was trying to think of like what Joanna's getting out of this fight, but I think like you said, while she's kind of playing the waiting game, deciding if she's going to move up to flyweight, getting the win over Tisha, who's supposed to be this new girl with hype. Um, and then possibly maybe she, you know, say Carla does get a win over Claudia. Um, you know, maybe they throw it back and then she kind of just cements herself within the top five of being, you know, the number one contender. Um, so yeah, it does. It makes sense. Um, and I think if she's trying to stay active, it makes sense for her too. Um, yeah, that's what intrigues me the most too, is just to see how she adjusts to those three rounds. Um, and just to see also how Tisha is going to prepare for her because obviously in her last fight with Jessica, and then I think her fight previously before that, um, which that was, one was Watterson. Yeah, that was Watterson. I think that there was even some holes in her game there that she showed. So, um, but you know, with each fight, um, it seems like she has a team that knows that she needs to evolve and watch tape and work on, you know, the holes in her game. So definitely an exciting one for the ladies. Um, yeah, I feel like you kind of set us up to move on to the next topic since you did bring up the champion that is a flyweight champion and that everyone's been kind of, um, you know, wondering what she's up to and when we're going to see her in there for her first title defense. So, G, why don't you open up the next subject? Well, if I can believe her Instagram, she's been doing a lot of hiking with her championship belt and taking nice pictures. Um, (laughs) Selfies. It it always does look like she goes for a nice walk every time. She's an outdoors woman for sure. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with that. I love the outdoors too. Um, so, of course, Nico Montano sheds light on her absence. Remember, she has not fought since last December, where she won Tough and the inaugural flyweight title. And pretty much the thing that happened is she responded to a tweet sent out by Ariel Hawani that stated that the UFC is frustrated with her because they feel like she's just stalling and waiting. Nico went on to say, as of Tuesday... She is five days removed from tonsillectomy and adenoid removal surgery, both of which she says the UFC was made aware of and covered for her procedure and flew her out to Vegas to take care of it. So she said that, you know, she is still about two weeks away from even returning to training and just really that she is looking to still take on Valentina Shevchenko. She's not avoiding it. Now, Valentina on the same day, also sent out a tweet saying that she had signed a bout agreement and was waiting on Nico, said it's been three months since you're supposed to be ready or something. Also, she says Nico Montano blocked her on Instagram. (laughs) I mean, um, one, there's clearly some drama, which I'm always happy to talk about because it makes our job interesting. What do you think about the news? Like, when you're reading both sides of the situation, as we understand them, what do you think is going on? Um, well, one, going back to how you were asking me, you know, whether or not I wanted to pry a little bit more with Gabby Garcia, this is kind of why I think that journalists sometimes, when you take that chance of 
um, you know, putting something out there or prying a little bit too much, you end up getting called a douchebag. And I didn't want to get called a douchebag by Gabby Garcia. But no, I feel I, like, I mean, um, I, I'd be afraid to say that to Gabby Garcia, too, if I were you. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> She's not a man. If you say something bad to Gabby Garcia, I mean, I'm going to have to prepare some nice words at the service. You know what I mean, Kayla? <laughs> Jeez. Um, I'm sorry. Back on track. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, you know, I think that Nico Montano, or Montana, sorry, I can't even Montano. Um, she, one, she's the champ. Um, I think that the UFC is going to respect that she's the current champ that she fought her way, you know, being what the, uh, underdog to get that title. I, and really when it comes down to it, if people are all about fighter safety and fighter health, if she, you know, has the doctor's note saying that she can still like allow herself to recover, she knows that that's a very tough fight against Valentina. So, you know, people want to knock on her for maybe waiting around and and taking that full recovery time. I think it's the same as when, you know, guys get kicked in the nuts in the octagon. Everyone wants to boo after 30 seconds. I don't really know how it feels, but if you want to use those few minutes of time to, you know, um, to just uh, get yourself together, by all means. I mean, it's their career. It's her title. I, I wouldn't want to go in there against Valentina, who you know is hungry for that title shot, um, if I wasn't feeling 100%. So, yeah, it kind of stinks that everyone's being put on hold. It kind of sucks that maybe there was a contract or agreement that was floating around and waiting on signatures. But um, if she's saying the UFC is very aware and okay with her taking this time for recovery – then sorry, Valentina, you got to sit back and wait. No one's making you sit around and wait for this title shot. You're the one choosing to, you know, um, to wait around for that. She could take on another fight if she wanted to. Um, in my opinion, there's two things that I think um, really need to, I, I think they've uh, kind of messed up themselves. The first and the most obvious one is Ariel Hawani. Um uh, the fact that he has not addressed the procedure or the fact that it was done by the UFC, nor has he responded to Nico's comment to clarify anything, I think is a faux pas, you know, to put it uh, simply. I think he's just, um, look, man, you know, if you're going to say something like that and then they have a rebuttal, I think you either got to delete your tweet or you got to address why you said it. You know, is there something, the wrong information like, take ownership of it. I We know Helwani is not above that, even though he has slipped up in the past on occasion. Um, so that's one part of it. Then you also have with Nico, and um, I've said this, you know, before when talking about her. If, you know, she's only, I want to say, two and two, now three and two, you know, when she won the title with the win over Roxanne. Uh -huh. That is still a lot less experience than uh, someone like Valentina. Uh -huh. And quite frankly, you know, is she like Yaya Rodriguez? Is she trying to take time off to just become a better mixed martial artist? You kind of got to say a few things or you kind of have to give an update because it, and I know maybe this is impossible because she does have the belt. But if you are just kind of sitting on the side and not saying anything about it, it does look like you're just stalling. And that is something that she has to be aware of. 
if she's going to do this because otherwise that hurts her relationship with the fans. Like, let's say, you know, she didn't have a procedure and she just went in and fought Valentina in April and lost. Okay, you lost to someone more experienced. That's fine. Let's see how she comes back. Now, though, she loses a bit of that sympathy and public support because she hasn't said anything because we just feel like she's stalling and avoiding this killer in Valentina. So when you're in this position, you have to be aware that there's a bit of give and take in terms of your public perception. You kind of have to say a few things if you don't want to lose that from the fans and have this going on. So I think that's one part of it. That being said, at the end of the day, if she does have this going on and had it taken care of, you can't really, like you just said, it's up on Valentina. Either you wait and you understand, or you take another fight in the interim. You do have options now. Do I think it's frustrating because she probably thought it was going to happen sooner? Absolutely. But the fact is, it hasn't. Now, if Nico gets through this recovery and is in training, and for some reason there's still nothing going on, then you do have to revisit that situation because we're already coming up on half a year since she won the title. So that is something to keep an eye on. But as of right now, if UFC knew and is aware, I don't think it's an issue. I think that um, let her recover. And the expectation is as soon as she's done with this, you got to be ready to fight. I think that's just only fair. Yeah. And I agree. I think that that, you know, that's, what's hard is, um, and, and maybe that is a thing is like when you are holding a title, you should have more responsibility of at least checking in with fans and giving an update. Um, but I don't know. At the same time, it's like if she's saying it's only been five days, I mean, geez, give the girl a week post surgery surgery. But um, it's just it's it's unique. We're in a unique time because there's some fighters that are, you know, sharing their whole life with you via social media and other ones that maybe they're, maybe it's not a part of their life where the first thing they do when they wake up is jump on their phones to connect with their fans. Um, but yeah, I agree. When you know that people are kind of waiting around to hear where you're at, and, and a lot of it too is because people are excited to see you back in there and fight. It's not that, you know, people just want to shit on you by saying like, oh, you're, not, you know, you're sitting around with the belt and not doing anything about it. It's because we know that there's an exciting fight and match up against Valentina, that that's why everyone wants to know what's your current status. But it looks like that she, you know, she's very aware that everyone wants to see her in there soon. I'm sure the UFC, I'm sure Valentina will keep, um, you know, trying to push this to happen sooner than later. So I see it happening before 2018 is over. I mean, I certainly hope so. (laughs) I mean... Uh, damn, I hope Watch so. what you tweet, G. She's going to call you a douchebag and say you have rat size balls. I'm going to say it like it is. I don't make mistakes like that. <laughs> I am very aware of my position. Um, I, I will say this. The one thing that does bother me is that, okay, she did have the procedure five days ago. It's still been five months since her last fight. So, um, you know, w- what is the weight kind of deal? That is my one caveat, you know, you know, for Nico to kind of address a little bit. But of course, you know, I, you know, enough about that. I think we've said everything on it. 
Um, before we talk about the Ultimate Fighter recap, let's discuss it. Um, this one got a lot of news. It's one of your favorite fighters, Nate Diaz <laughs> and the UFC, discussing a comeback. They are targeting possibly, most importantly, possibly a return at UFC 227 on August 4th. Of course, Nate has not fought since August 2016, where he lost the rematch to Conor McGregor. There was a lot of talk about a possible fight with Tyron Woodley, and we know he's been offered guys like Eddie Alvarez in his hiatus. Kayla, let's say it very bluntly, are we going to see Nate Diaz come back? I think we are. I think that him and his brother might give us well this is me probably like wishful thinking <laughs> that like both Diaz brothers are going to be on a card together um I oh, do that would be so we'll epic see... <laughs> I do think that we'll see Nate back I think that um just the stuff he's been posting on social media I don't think that he is just teasing fans I think that he truly does want to have at least one more run at MMA um of course, you know, if he's looking to more get money fights or super fights, I think that he, with the rest of the world, was kind of waiting to see Connor's next move. Um, and, and yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if I love the fight against Tyron Woodley, but I guess if he's looking for super fights, that's definitely, you know, one that will book a lot of attention. I think it'd be a great next fight for Tyron Woodley. Um you know, not so much with rankings and what's going on with his division, but if he's also looking for a big name fight, of course, those two would, would be good. Um, as far as Eddie Alvarez, I don't know. What has Eddie Alvarez done recently that's making him a number one contender to get Nate? I mean, that's a, that's a story for another. I was very tempted to add it, but I felt like for real estate, we'll... Um... We'll discuss the Eddie thing at another time. We know it's still in negotiation. I'll say it like it is. I think that um, uh, Tyron destroys Nate at 170, even though that would be a big fight. Nick is another story, but that's one I think less likely than Nate coming back, if I'm being honest. Uh-huh. Um, I do think we will, just because I think at the end of the day, you know, you kind of need something to get up for. And I think that Nate genuinely does want to fight. It's just... He keeps wanting to really get paid, and those money fights, quite frankly, people don't think they need to take with him. So I understand that he's trying to get paid, and I can't knock a guy for that, but you got to understand your situation too. Nate Diaz is fun and popular, but he's not Conor McGregor, nor is he at the skill set of, let's say, Tony Ferguson or Habib in terms of being an elite contender. He's lost a lot of fights. So I think you got to... Put yourself, you know, reassess where you're at. I do think there's exciting fights. I want to see him against Kevin Lee. I think that could be a fun one. You just want to see the smack talking. I think it'd be a good fight, too. Yeah. Just what if, what I think both guys would respect each other and you, it'd actually just be gentlemen and then you're going to be disappointed. You know, why is it you think these guys are nicer than they are, Kayla? <laughs> You know, you know, Kevin Lee gonna say something about his mama, and then it's gonna be on. <laughs> <laughs> I think both guys know not to talk about each other's moms. All right, all right, but I think someone like a Kevin Lee or Justin Gaethje, I think, would be a fun fight stylistically. Yeah, um, I think Justin Gaethje. I mean, yeah, both guys, I think, would be super fun. 
Um, especially too, I think that that's, that's one thing that I feel like is I think Kevin Lee needs another fight against an experienced top guy to, um, you know, get him in talks of really getting that title shot next. And though you said Nate has lost a lot of fights, he does have the experience and probably would, you know, really test Kevin Lee. So, um, and then, yeah, like to think about them on the ground. I mean, yeah, that, that's a very exciting fight. And that to me intrigues me. One of, either him or Justin for sure intrigues me more than an Eddie Alvarez, unfortunately. Yeah, certainly there's just a lot going on. And I think um, as soon as we get him back, that we'll probably know a little more. Of course, it is the end of the show, which means it is time for our brief The Ultimate Fighter 27 recap. It is, sorry, 28. It is the undefeated episode three, Pressure Makes Diamonds. This week's fight was Jose Martinez against Luis Pena. Um, Jose, of course, on Team Miasic, Luis on Team DC. Kayla, what have you read about it? Because it was certainly, uh, I'll be honest, it was a slower episode in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it was playing in the gym just with no sound or captions. So I was trying to watch it from afar and uh, get a sense of the show. Um, I love the notes you wrote here of how Team DC's Luis, Luis Pena discusses looking like 80s painter Bob Ross. That made me laugh. Um, but yeah, from what I saw, there's definitely like a very emotional, um, backstory with Jose, um, his cute daughter. I saw some cute moments there. Um, so, and, you know, hearing the story about his dad, that's what I read about too. Um, so it was nice that we got a little bit of a backstory, saw some personality with Pena. Um, I agree from what I watched with the fight. I mean, again, I was watching from afar and, and didn't see the whole thing yet, but, I kind of, from what I saw, I thought it was more one-sided in my opinion as well. Gee, why don't you talk about the fight? I mean, uh, real quick, I got to say, I don't know what's up with Team DC, but he has problems every week with his team just disciplining them and getting them focused. So, uh. I mean, he's got some good fighters, but apparently temperamental too. I got to make a note of that. The fight to me was one-way traffic. Um, Luis just taller, longer, and had, you know just every move in the book he wanted just using kicks knees elbows punches high kicks and jose just didn't have anything for it was getting lit up and busted up for both rounds and yeah i thought that jose would try to get a little more sense of urgency but so often i feel like he just kind of stood right in front of luis and only covered up and tried to Wing one punch back. That's no way to win a fight. I think that he just didn't expect him to be as powerful and didn't have an answer for that long range on short notice for the show. So, yeah, tough fight. But Luis Pena, it was just all systems go. It was a very one-sided fight. Um, Was there anything else that you had a note of when you were watching it? Um, No, I mean, even without sound, that was something that I definitely noticed myself. Um, I was actually pretty impressed with Luis. I think that... Um, it was cool to see someone continue to show all of the skills to his game and almost have fun in the fight, um, knowing that he was most likely taking home the win. I mean, that's how you impress the boss. And I think I saw Dana White give him some praise, um, if I read his, his mouth correctly. Um, 
again, I think you make a good point that maybe because there's more drama going on with Team DC as far as drama for um, the cameras to be on. I, I don't, I, from the first two episodes I've seen, I feel like they haven't really showcased too much of Stipe as a coach. Um, you know, training leading up to the fight, they've definitely shown more clips with DC and his team. And then I've noticed too, um, you know, in the first two fights, Stipe and his team seem to to be a little bit more on the quieter side, or maybe it's just the way that it's shot. But what do you think about Stipe as a coach so far? Because I think that, um, you know, I, I think the star power is all for DC. I think Stipe, he looks like he's given good advice. I once read this. Uriah Faber had a book, um, and he just talked about it, what makes someone a great coach. You could be a great fighter, but not necessarily a great coach. You can know what's great for you, but just not have that intuitive thing about why it doesn't click for someone else. Uh-huh. And that's something that I really noticed about DC, I, um, or sorry, about Stipe, that I'm not sure if he's conveying everything, at least on the show. It doesn't look like he necessarily has those pieces as a coach. I think he's running... A strict camp but maybe it's just one of those kinds of adjustments so I'm a little surprised about it I think that he's just being out coached by DC right now plain and simple yeah and I mean that's what's so hard about that show is with reality TV the way that they cut things there's there could be a lot that we're not seeing but the way that the show is at least um you know playing out it, it it is interesting to see the comparison between both coaches but hopefully we can see Stipe you know Stipe's team pull off a win just because I find it more I mean I don't know I guess it's entertaining either way when a team completely sweeps but I kind of like when there's some I don't like to see the guys and especially these guys who are facing you know getting their first losses ever um you know, the momentum of the team and seeing that kind of go down is always a little sad to watch. I agree. It's just, um, they, they just have to get it together a little bit. But um, look, they still got a lot of fights left to go. Maybe um, Stipe's team turns it around. I think that's going to be the key. I also think they're setting up for one of the more fun, um, what is it, coaches challenges on the show, I got to say. I think that'll be something to keep an eye on. Mm. But Kayla... It is the end of our show. There is no UFC, no Bellator going on, but we do have um, Invicta on Friday, so definitely we'll have stuff to talk about. Also, special announcement. If you're up in NorCal, I will be at the fights in Bellator in San Jose. Also, Combate Americas in Sacramento. It's going to be a very fun trip up north for myself, so... If you're in attendance, you want to talk about the fights, say hi, what have you, definitely, you know, feel free to say hi. I always like meeting people, so it's going to be a very fun, busy week. Also next week, we do have UFC 224, Amanda Nunes versus Raquel Pennington. It's going to be a lot of fun. Kayla, just how excited are you for next week? And where can fans follow you to keep up with all of your amazing work? Yeah, super fun fight week coming up. Um, I'm looking forward to checking out some of these other promotions this weekend, too. One of 
the guys that I message with over Instagram and talk fights with was telling me about the promotion TKO and how a lot of Canadian fighters got their start there. So I'm going to tune into that this weekend and educate myself on another big promotion. Um, but yeah, next week's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see your coverage, G. Um, it's going to be a busy week, but hopefully we'll get some time to speak with you. Um, if you guys want to keep up with what I'm up to this weekend and next week covering MMA, you can follow me on fangirl underscore MMA on Instagram and Twitter. Just fangirl MMA on Facebook. G, where can they follow you? Fans, you can find me all the time at double G on TV. Just fill out the word double. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.